Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashat Sav. It's the second parasha of the book of Vayikra. And uh, according to the Shem Mishmuel, uh, <clears throat> he gives a beautiful explanation of, uh, of the offerings that were offered in the times of the Mishkan and in the times of the, of the temple, the Korbanot. Uh, the whole book talks and deals about the different types of sacrifices that were done there. And today he's going to give us an explanation of two of the offerings, korbans, that were done in the, in the times of the Mishkan. So he says that this Sidra continues with the theme of, of the previous one. And, um, and it gives us all the details uh, of, the, of the offerings that were brought to the Mishkan. And it is intriguing to note that the Torah requires the hatas, which is the sin offering, to be slaughtered in the same place in the courtyard of the Mishkan as the Ola, which is the burnt offering. So let's go into it and understand what these offerings meant and why they were done in the same place. So it says in Vayikra, it says, speak to Aaron and his sons and say, this is the law of the hatas in the place where you slaughter the Ola, slaughter the hatas before God, it is most holy. And the Ola itself was slaughtered to the north uh, of the altar. It says uh, here, it says, slaughter it at the side of the altar to the north before God. So as I said in the previous parasha, uh, this book is replete of uh, explanations. It's very detailed. It goes to extremes to explain every sacrifice. And, um, and there's reasons for it because Hashem in his, in his infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, doesn't add one more word or takes away one word. Everything that is contained in the Torah is exact. So the Shem Mishmuel, he explains that this is a fascinating um, a, a pasuk in which the Torah mandates that the Olah be slaughtered in the north and then instructs us to do likewise with the Hatas. And so this gives us two questions. This, give, this uh, makes us wonder. There's two questions. Firstly, why does the main instruction appear with the Ola? And this implies that the need for slaughter in the north is more fundamental to the Ola offering than the, to, to the Hatas. And secondly, why, uh, why does the Hatas merely follow the Ola? So they are, after all, very different offerings. They're different offerings. We're going to explain what these offerings uh, uh, meant. So to begin our investigation, the Shem Ishmael continues. He says, let, let us consider an observation of my revered father. He's talking about his father, who was the Sohatover Rebbe. And, the, and he says that the Ola was brought to, for incorrect thoughts. The Ola was an offering that was brought to the Mishkan because people sinned in their head. With their, with their minds, with their thoughts. These were things that only happened inside their head. It never became uh, materialized. It never went out. It could be a bad thought about somebody. It could be that he, he had the desire for something that was not uh, permitted by Hashem. And this is considered a sin. In Jewish religion, your thoughts are also accounted for, which is different from any other religion. If a person uh, has a, a, a sinful thought, it is considered a, a, a sin. 
So that's why we take so much care of our thoughts, our, our speech, our actions, because we're not only uh, responsible for what we do, we're also responsible for what we think. And so the hola was brought for incorrect thoughts without any follow-up actions. A person would have a bad thought, only he knew what he was thinking about, nobody else knew, him and Hashem, but nevertheless, he would come to the temple or to the Mishkan and offer the hola. And so the, the Sohot of a Rebbe says that the word for north, used in this verse, is Safon, and this word has the same root as the word matzpun, which means conscience and it means intellect. So we see that the word north also alludes to, to our intellect, to our conscience. And the ola is slaughtered on the north, in the north, because the north represents the intellect of man and the place where sin requiring the ola took place. So all our, all our sins start in their head. Like we have to guard our heads with our life because everything starts here. And that's why we're so careful of what music we listen to, what magazines we read to, what books are we reading, what movies we look at, because everything that uh, we see, we smell, we hear, has an effect on our, on our minds, has an effect on our brains. So this satisfies our requirement to know why the Ola is intrinsically associated with the North area of the of the courtyard but it creates an additional difficulty and the question is we, we the question is why those which involve no physical action at all but remain as evil thoughts how can this be uh, also considered sinful so on the other hand the hatas was brought for sins which were accidental so you have people that turn a switch on Shabbat and they didn't realize it's accidental. He didn't do it uh, with, uh, with a pretty, pre pre how do you say that? He doesn't do it wanting to do it. So many people do things that they don't want to do them. They don't even think about doing them, but suddenly the body goes and does this thing that you weren't thinking about doing. So the, the, the Shem Ishmael, he says, that had, that had these sins been done de deliberately, they would have incurred the divine punishment of exertion. This means that the hatas was always brought for an action which had no intent behind it. So a person does something, he has no bad intentions. People sometimes do things, they don't have a bad intention. They just do them and, and they create a lot of harm, but they didn't have a bad intention. So the body was working without full control of the mind to produce an accidental act. So we have to see where our thoughts are, what we're thinking about, how careful we have to do with what we think, because at the end of the day, what's going on here is gonna affect the whole body. And this is what the, what the Shem Ishmael is teaching us, and this is why these two sins were offered in the same altar in the north side of the, of the courtyard. And he says, as such, it is radically different from the Ola. One is for a thought without an action, and the other one is for an action without a thought. And so why then should they be so close, uh, associated by the Torah? What, wh how are they connected? Uh, and how, uh, why does the Torah approach it in this way? So this leads us to a discussion of nature of accidents, accidental sin, when people do things uh, without intent, 
Uh, we know that in the times of the temple, there were these uh, cities of refuge. The levies had six cities of refuge that when a person killed somebody unintentionally, he didn't mean to kill the person. <laughs> he was cleaning the, the carpet in the balcony of his house and suddenly there was a jug of, uh, inside the carpet and he didn't realize and it fell down and someone was passing by and it hit his head and he, and he killed him. This person, although he was not punished like a criminal, he had to go to a city of refuge uh, for the time being until the Cohen Gadol died and he had to go there because that someone died because of him, there's something in him that he has to correct. Like it was unintentional. He didn't want to do it. He wasn't thinking about doing it. But that that person died because of him, then there's something within him that he has to correct. So this is more or less the same idea of the, of the hatas, which is, which is when we act without thinking. And this leads us to the discussion of the nature of the accidental sin. Why does it happen at all? Why, why a person uh, sadly commits a sin, a crime, a sin, he does something he shouldn't have done, but he was not uh, intending to do it. Why does it happen to, sin, to him? So at a simple level, for example, a person forgets that it's Shabbat, this is simple, or that a particular action is prohibited. Uh, and during this period of forgetfulness breaks a law of Shabbat, since his act was accidental, we treat him accordingly, obliging him to bring a hatas offering to atone for it. So yes, he had to bring a sin offering. He had to recognize that there's something going with him, that this happened because of negligence, because his mind is in the wrong place. But why does, does this happen? We may suggest that when a person accidentally sins, there is more to, to it than mere chance. It, it's not a coincidence, it doesn't happen because it was bad luck or bad faith. It happens because we have to see that there's something going on. And in reality, the person concerned has a strong desire to do a particular sin, act, but refrains from it, actually doing it because he knows that the Torah forbids it. And he doesn't actually hate the idea of doing the act, but his consciousness of God, God's will prevails. So what the Shem Ishmael is saying is, that subconsciously, a person is not bothered by certain things that are against Hashem, things that are uh, abominable for Hashem, that are, the pro, the, that are not in, in Hashem's eyes, things that are righteous. There's things that Hashem loves and things that Hashem hates. And he has to create the things he hates in order for us to be able to have free will. He doesn't create them so we fall into them. He creates, a, creates them so we can choose not to go with them. So the idea here, what he's telling us, is that the problem comes when a person subconscious, in his subconscious, he uh, desires something that Hashem prohibits. And so he doesn't act on it because he's a, a, a God-fearing human being. He's a, he's a person that follows Torah. So he doesn't act on them because it's not, it, he, this is not what a Jew does. But subconsciously, he doesn't see it as something bad. He doesn't see it so bad. So this means that despite the fact that he's controlling himself, his desire for the act is creating a connection between his psyche and his deed. 
And the consequence of this is that while he would never consciously sin, he would never do it, God forbid, when his guard is down, that is when he isn't thinking, when he's thinking about who knows what, the sun, the, the weather, whatever is going on in his head, his body goes and does it because he's out of control. He doesn't control the body. And so this is so, if, if this is true about accidental sins, one which he has a desire to do and controls, but when he's in, he isn't mindful, it just slips out. So we've learned in Hasidut with the Alter Rebbe how important it is to have awareness. Today, in today's age, they call it mindfulness. This is a, the new age a way of living, to be mindful, to be in the moment. Although I don't see people like, uh, really uh, exercising this mindfulness because everybody's in their phones all the time and they're, they can be with a person in a business meeting and they're chatting with someone else somewhere else. So really to be mindful is a very important thing to achieve to be mindful, to be aware, to be aware of your surroundings, of who you're, who you're with at this moment. Are you giving them their full attention? Are you there for them? Or are in your head, you're in a, in a beach in Cancun, you know? So it is very important to work this Mida, to work this character trait of mindfulness, of being present. And uh, the sages characterize the North as a high point of some sort. So too, the intellect is the highest point of the human body. This is what makes us different from animals. Animals don't have an intelligence, don't have a seho. You can think they're intelligent, but in reality, their intelligence comes from their instinctive nature. They have an, an intelligent, instinctive nature, but they're not intelligent beings. But the human being has an, a mind, has an intelligence, has an intel intellect, and has a way to process intellectual things. So the connection between the Ola and the Hatas should now be clear because one thing is to think something sinful and not act on it. And this is actually also the Tanya talks about the Benoni, the, the intermediate person who has bad thoughts in his head, but he never acts on them. But the difference between this, this sinful act and really a person like a Benoni, is that this person contemplates the sinful thought. Whether, a, whether it's a Benoni, he pushes them away. So we're always bombarded with, with uh, bad thoughts. It's inevitable. You can never run away from that because we are exposed to so many things around us that these things keep popping up in our heads. And um, it, it's not possible for a person to not have these thoughts coming to their heads. But what we are able to do, and this is the, what the Benoni, that's what makes him stand out from the rest, is that he's never contemplating these thoughts. He pushes them away with the two hands, like the Alter Rebbe teaches, you have to just push them away with your two hands and he never contemplates them. So a person that committed the sin of thought without action is a person that contemplates the sinful thought. He's sitting there and he's thinking about it and he's dreaming about it, but he never acts on it. So it becomes a sin. But if a person has a sinful thought and he pushes it away, and he doesn't contemplate it and he just moves on and goes to another thing, then this is not considered a sin. So 
Quite unexpectedly, both are offered for scenes of the mind. Both of them uh, have to do with the intellect. For inappropriate sinful thoughts, in the case of the Ola, the thoughts remain thoughts. They, they, they stay in the head. That's where they, they are. But in the case of the Hatas, they resulted in accidental sin. So as such, the atonement for them is very similar. This is why they had to go to the north side of the courtyard and offer them there. And um, because they are both sins of the mind and they're both slaughtered in the north, which as we have seen symbolizes the power of intellect. So all this implies that one ought not to want things which are prohibited, but instead train oneself to not like the things that are prohibited. You know, today, in today's world, the Jew is living in a time of uh, the best time of his life. Because today, a Jew, there's sneered clothes everywhere. There's beautiful clothes for women. There's kosher food, kosher restaurants, kosher hotels, kosher vacations, kosher, kosher, kosher. And it's permissible. And these are things that are permissible, and there are a Kiddush Hashem. You're sanctifying the name of God using the, the material world as Hashem wants it, us to use it. But we have to be careful because when we become so attached to the material world, then we start falling down, and then the kosher restaurant is not enough for us, and we want to try what is not kosher. It's human nature. That's how it works. You, you, it, you're, first you're so happy there's this restaurant, then you want to go out and you want to try something that is not permissible. So this is what the Shem Mishmuel is telling us, is that we have to train ourselves to forego even the desires for the forbidden. This, however, seems to contradict the following uh, Gemara. And it says, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah said, one should not say, I don't want to wear shadness. Shadness is a mixture of linen and wool. It is forbidden for a person to have one garment, like the jacket, for example, where it has linen and wool. This is a big problem for men, especially, because the wool jackets that they use have the linings of the, of the colors usually are made out of, inside, they're made out of linen. So they have to take this, these clothes and take them to a special person, a tailor, that's going to check that he has no linen inside of his garment. And if he has, he'll change it for cotton or any other material. But shatness is, um, is a hawk. It's one of those mitzvahs that have no explanation whatsoever. We, we have no idea why Hashem doesn't want us to use shatness. But he doesn't want us to use, use shatness. This is something that a Jew has to be careful when he dresses, not to have one, one um, garment that contains both, both materials. So uh, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah said, one should not say, I don't want to wear shatness, I don't want to eat pork, I don't want to commit immoral acts. Rather, one should say, I want to, but what can I do? For my Father in heaven has decreed upon me otherwise. So this is in Torah's Kohanim. In Kedoshim. And then there's a, a discrepancy here where it says uh, that apparently one should want to, to the prohibited things that Hashem doesn't want us to have. We should not reject them. We should just say, you know what? 
it smells delicious. That 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 uh, shrimp smells delicious. But you know what? I'm a Jew. I cannot eat that, right? So he says. But there in Shemot it says, "Do not covet your friend's wife, his servant, his maid servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything which is your friend's." And so this resolves this um, difficulty of the Ibn Ezra, which is, "Do not covet." Do not covet. We cannot. We should not want what other people have. We should not want what other people have. We should be happy with what we have. So many people wonder about this mitzvah. For how is it possible for a person not to covet something which his heart finds attractive and his eyes find desirable? Yes, you see your friend's wife. She's so gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. How can I not covet that? Or my friend has this beautiful car supersonic car and I have like this regular Honda whatever and my friend has how can I not want that car right so uh, here the Shem Mishmol says he gives us a parable and he says that, that a simple villager who is in his right mind and sees be a beautiful princess will not desire the princess she's gorgeous but he's a simple villager he knows that it's impossible. It's not possible for him to marry the princess. It's not possible. So this person is not a lunatic and he equally does not desire to have wings so that he may fly or marry the princess of, of, the, of the kingdom, as beautiful as she is. So, for he has known from his earliest youth that she is forbidden for him. So yes, you look at your friend's car, it's a beautiful car, it's gorgeous, but you know what? It's not my car. It's not my car. I have my car. This is my friend's car. This is the difference. So too, every intelligent person must know that a beautiful woman or a sum of money does not come to him because of his wisdom or knowledge or beauty. It comes to him because Hashem decreed that he should have what he has. So this is why we should not covet because everything we own, everything we have, everything we don't have, is because Hashem decreased that decrees it that way. Whoever has that is because that's what he needs in his life to be able to fulfill the purpose for which he was created. If he doesn't have it, it's not part of his plan. It's not part of his toolbox. So should be even more distant from him than the princess was from the villagers. So we should see it that way, that if it's not for me, it's not for me. I'm happy someone else can have it. I enjoy looking at it, it's beautiful. So this is the, the, the idea of, the, of what the Ibn Ezra said. Yeah, it smells delicious. I would love to eat that piece of pork, but you know what? It's not for me. This is the idea of the Ibn Ezra. So he should rejoice in his lot and not set his heart on something which is not for him. For he knows that God does not want to give it to him and thus he cannot take it by force guile or intrigue he should then trust that his creator will sustain him and do what is good in his eyes so in light of this fascinating Ibn Ezra perhaps we may reinterpret above the Midrash which seems to suggest that we should desire those things which God has we should desire those things which God has prohibited the correct understanding is that had God not decreed a particular food or relationship forbidden there would not have been anything intrinsically wrong with it. So what is wrong is not the relationship, it's not the piece of meat that is not kosher. That's not what is wrong. 
What is wrong is that we should want something that Hashem doesn't want for us. This is what it comes up to. So we should only want what Hashem wants from us. We should only desire the things that Hashem desires for us. And this is a high level. So since, since God, as it were, looked into the Torah and created the world, every item in the world is best created for its use by the Torah system. This means that had pork, for example, been a permitted food for Jews, its nature would have been different from how it is in our experience, but since the Torah does prohibit it, it takes on the characteristic of something that is dangerous and undesirable. So when the Midrash suggests that we should want the prohibited item, it refers to the theoretical situation. The object itself is not intrinsically bad, and had the Torah not prohibited it, then it would be perfectly acceptable to want it. However, the Ibn Ezra refers to the reality, and since in its current form the Torah does prohibit it, Hashem prohibits a Jew to eat uh, pork and other animals that are not kosher, that are not fitted for, for us, we should not only find it undesirable, but regard it as so completely removed from us, from our experience, that we should have no craving for it whatsoever whatsoever like if you go into the airport and they have a stand of hot dogs and they're smelling delicious and you're super hungry and your flight is delayed eight hours okay it smells good but you shouldn't have a desire for it why because Hashem doesn't want it for you and that's the simple reason this is not what Hashem wants for me and since this is not what he wants for me I have no desire for it it smells good yes but I have no desire for it so I leave you here I wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.